0: Welcome to Brick Moon Fiction. The theme for this month's short story podcasts is, timely enough, liberty. It's one of the founding principles of the American Constitution, and yet there's no consistent agreement on who is entitled to it and to what extent. With that in mind, we set our writers out to explore this theme with one other requisite. As a true sci-fi homage, they had to incorporate the Statue of Liberty in each story. Enjoy. Brickmoon Fiction presents Deer Eat Flowers by Rudolfo Serna, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Emerging from Subhole two into pre-dawn, the walking gardens clacking topside on mechanical legs heading out of the openings to seek the first morning light like an animal seeking water from a hole, even though the first light would signify death, tainting whatever nourishment there was to be obtained. The father and daughter crossed the ramp that took them over the district's central transit lines, walking over canals of silver metal flowing, carrying the lives of those buried to their morning shifts, liberty ringing for those on board while pings and the red analog rolled by on the islands. In the distance were the spired towers dotted with purple lights, and the maroon outlines of the obelisks. The square structures stuck out from the flat surfaces of the poured amalgamate that covered a dead world. In neon was the logo that represented the city-state, a symbol of what was once a nation called Liberty. The little girl walked with her father, holding his gloved hand, feeling the urgency in his tug on a schedule, which even at such a young age, the little girl understood the implications of missing the warning bells and lights. She had bad dreams of being alone on the massive overpass with the shuttles in their lanes, as if a silver chain rotating around in the bowels of a giant motor churning further ahead deeper underground. Waking up crying, she would be comforted by her father, looking down at her as she tried to reconcile dream from reality. There were the dreams of the deer and the flowers, and those dreams were not bad, but were only improbable and fantastical to the child, who had known no other world but the sounds of clacking gardens and the juggernaut's breaths rattling the vents. The juggernaut's lung pumping, sharing its air with those willing to continue living, existing in a prison constructed to save them, its central nervous system strung together by servers inputting and outputting. The offspring would sometimes hear the faded memories of older generations, and the children born in the talking nurseries that sang old folk songs of the people who were once topside when Liberty's statue still stood. Committees made sure the rules were followed. The city repaired itself, sending out crews of human workers, The cyborg rooted with webs in the walls and eyes of the living quarters and bedrooms, recording discourse and revelations. The walls spoke. How are you today? Are you feeling okay? Your stats are showing stress. Would you like a sedative? And as simple as that, a pill would appear from the wall, and the human would reach in and take it. The city kept its symbionts living, as there were no real reasons to keep humanity going anymore except to maintain the city's systems. And if humanity finally expired, there would be no reason for the clacking gardens to carry the plants, the fruit, or flowers. The human race, trapped inside the great city-state. The sickness of isolation, the world burned outside, scarred with its inventions. A vengeful world wanted to shrug the species that persisted, becoming the inventions they had owned, The giant cyborg ate up the last of them, with help from an unforgiving sky. And the fascination of a child was the only thing raw, along with the insanity that infected their parents, and there were not enough meds, artificial lighting, social conditioning, regulated sex or drugs to sustain them. The beast could not be satiated with the human need for expansion and glory. The illness of being buried and existing for the sole purpose of maintaining the cyborg that had swallowed them their technological messiah, and torturer. The sky and the mountain drove them out of their holes to go to the surface and seek the source of their maker, to seek the medicine that would keep them human. The moon was all they had known, allowed topside at night if the weather warning lights were green, allowing release from the holds of the city, the synthetic green slick of the solar shield, the treatments of residual lunar light and unfiltered air. In the horizon was a single mountain. A large monolith of granite and sediment, unable to be demolished or removed, a giant memorial to the last of the world at the edge of an underground city, stamped out of the sand. The little girl continued holding on to her father's hand. There was a maroon line where the sun broke, a purplish dawn with steam stacks that protruded from the concrete decks of an entombed city. Seeking the day's first light, the people in their green garb worshipped the sky while an endless flow of capsules fell like silver bearings in a chute, delivering their fodder to the daily duties of the cybernetic host and the directors who ran the daily feeds. "'Dad, tell me again,' she excitedly said, and they slowed their pace to look at the solitary mountain looming beyond the steel and concrete that capped the landscape, their voices vibrating through the mouthpiece. "'There's yellow and white flowers,' the father said, looking at the little girl fumbling with her headgear. "'Not like the flowers in the gardens?' she said. "'Nope. These flowers grow in wild grass. "'And the grass is green, right, Dad?' "'Yes. And tall,' he said. "'Yeah, real tall, huh, Dad?' "'Yes, with pine needles. "'The trees look like—' "'Like towers, right, Dad?' the little girl said, "'pointing behind them to the obelisks "'beyond the long rosary of traveling capsules, "'the neon spires transmitting. "'Yes.' "'Like the towers,' the father said. "'The father felt the little girl's hand "'pulling on him to slow down some more, "'the light green solar covers over their shoulders, "'arms and head reflecting purplish dawn. "'What else, Dad?' "'There's deer,' he said. "'With horns, big horns,' his daughter finished the description. "'Antlers,' he said. "'Yeah, antlers, and they come down to the water. "'Right, Dad? "'There's the daddy deer, the mama deer, and the baby deer. That's right. And what else do the deer do? They eat flowers, the little girl said. Yes, that's right. The deer eat flowers, the father said. Yellow and white flowers? Yes. And what else do they do? The father asked, as he had every time, trying to steady his voice. They run and play, his daughter said, still holding tightly to her father's hand trying to see the sun rising out of the mountain. That's right, the father said. Dad, can we go there? the little girl said. He fumbled for the words. Maybe, someday. Okay, she said, and he could hear the disappointment in her voice. His vision was bleary, unable to wipe the tears. They approached the end of the skywalk and the city registered their ID numbers after they passed through the scanners screens flashing Liberty's symbol. The conditioning center was at the bottom of the stairs, and the other children had already gathered in a line outside the center's entrance. The daughter looked up at him after they removed their cover. Can we go to the mountain tomorrow? The father looked at the little face with gray eyes and dark hair, waiting for him to answer, as he held her headgear. The father would soon enough have to return and attend to his employer's body that was away on holiday, the parts spread out across a table, no, not tomorrow. Maybe some day when you're a little older, he tried to smile. Oh, she said, grimacing, and her father couldn't help but to take his little girl in his arms, holding her tight, patting her on the back, kissing her cheek, as he felt helpless to explain to her why they couldn't go, and all he could do was comfort her. Don't worry, darling, one of these days. Okay, Daddy, she said. He put her down and handed her the headgear she had been wearing. Put this away in your bag. She joined the crowd of those similar in size and build, disappearing beyond the doors. He was glad that she didn't look back to see him wiping the tears. Usually he would go another level down to catch the shuttle, but instead he placed the green cover over his head and made his way up the stairs, out the exit to the skywalk. On the surface again, he could see a yellow light flashing a warning to those crossing that the shutters on the other side would be closing. He would be the last one to cross. He could not shake the sadness he felt from holding his daughter, unable to save her. Looking into the distance, he saw the barren surface of the mountain, devoid of anything but only the smallest life forms surviving within the earth trapped when the world became too hot. He did not know how he would explain to her that there would be no grass or trees. The father liked to think that maybe something had survived even though the mountain had been scorched uninhabitable for decades his daughter would have to understand about the dead mountain someday he thought that maybe the bones would still be there for her to find and if the bones could be reclaimed the little girl could take the skeleton and lay it out and with the new science make them whole again the little girl smiled when she thought about what it was her father had told her about the deer despite the city's transmissions coming from the walls, telling the children that permanent resettlement was improbable and unlikely, that the megacity could only dig deeper and the committee would continue with their plans to evacuate the solar system. The announcements and holograms kept rolling out of the corner of his eyepiece inside the visor. Liberty was a woman. He didn't understand or pay attention to the brand and couldn't understand what it represented but the image of the woman had always been there, on the screen, in neon on the walls, beckoning him to move quickly over the bridge. Already sweating beneath the rubberized shield, the sweat rolling down his back, he wanted to pull the cover off and feel for once the coolness of the morning. The people ahead of him were already disappearing through the gates that would mark their return home. The scanners would take count of them as they entered, their numbers stored away in the city's computer. He breathed heavily, Struggling in the rising heat, seeing the black gaping mouth that would soon take him back through subhole 4. He could see the info board alongside the warning lights, the words rolling by. Temp 101 and rising. Desert wind expected to peak by noon at 40 standard P. Rescue time, average response 20 M. Success rate 80%. The walking garden that parked itself under the warning lights, a mechanical arachnid carrying flowering plants, timed with the metal shutters to go inside just before closing. The gardens would follow their programming to get the very last bit of sunlight before returning underground. The garden's programming sought light for their plants by perching themselves at the front of the sub-hole's entrance and returning below before it got too hot and windy. He stopped next to the walking garden. Its stalks and vines had been trellised and clipped. Growing out of a bed of fertilized medium carried on a metal chassis propelled by glimmering spider legs. He could not exactly tell what the colors of the flowers were, since the lenses on his solar shield distorted the subtle hues of living things, and the only way to see the colors was to remove the headgear. He cleaned the visor with his hand that he had left uncovered, misplacing the glove somewhere back on the skywalk or on the metal stairs, but the words kept rolling by, with the pings going off in his ear reminding him of the duties that awaited him—flush system, clean mucus, moisten eyes—and it kept rolling on and on, over and over. He had to lie to his daughter, who would never see the mountain and its flowers. He was close enough to smell the petals that would die if left outside past dawn. The father sat down on a concrete bench built into the wall beside the garden's chassis, a place perhaps designed by the original architects as somewhere to sit and reflect to look out on the vast landscape of concrete bunkers, the last bit of morning shade receding, as if liquid seeping back and dribbling down into the lowest parts of the city's gutters. Looking at the flowers, he was still trying to determine if the colors were actually yellow and white, the flashing light turning red, only the electronic colors seemed to penetrate the shield by design, indicating three minutes left. Next to the walking garden were letters etched in the wall that read, Kill Yourself as if it was the final solution to come out of the deep meditation sitting on the bench, and he wasn't sure if the words were actually there or if he was projecting them onto the concrete surface. He reached out with the ungloved hand and felt the grooves of the letters in the face of the wall. Kill yourself, but who would walk with her? Tell her about things, about the deer that had been folded into the cracks of the earth, waiting for the final reckoning when humanity would finally go away, and maybe eventually the world itself would be eaten up, and all the memories would be erased. The only thing left would be the concrete structures placed in the ground etched with the words, kill yourself, while all the data banks with the last of the planet's history would burst into flames. Liberty meant nothing, a brand to keep the people working, the only thing that made sense, the only freedom left unto him. Who would walk with her at dawn? The walking garden's mechanical legs stretched out and lifted its frame off the ground, scuttling towards the opening as the temperature continued to rise and the garden would have to find comfort for its plants inside. Alarms rang out, indicating that the shutters would be closing, the info board counting down from one hundred. A ping from his earpiece, followed by a message from his employer in red analog flowing across the bottom corner of the eyeglass, indicating he would have to be at his job soon traditions from the old world, a commute every day, a service to be delivered, paid and received, liberty. It had been the only way, the walls had told him so, flush system, clean mucus, moisten eyes. The small holograms in the eyeglass of the solar shield, the red analog rolling by with orders from his employer, who was somewhere with palm trees and a green sea that did not exist anymore, only in cyberspace, the employer's body still rested in pieces on a table, a body that required constant maintenance and primping the employer was from firm genetic stock receiving post-human modifications selected for the first seats available on the transport off-planet if the day should ever come liberty was for those that could afford it the father removed the solar shield and felt the burning sunlight the eyeglass with messages to tend to the cybernetic body still rolling by as he dropped the headgear next to his feet it was hotter than expected No relief, no cool breeze like he had imagined earlier that morning, looking at the mountain, the only freedom he had left. The ringing was loud, the red light flashing, stopping only after the portal was shut, but still he could hear the ringing in his ears, and he could see the real sunlight, bright and orange, with the colors of the flowers. He couldn't seem to move. Exposed to the sunlight without the protection of the headgear, He managed to turn around toward the mountain in time to see the sun clearing its shoulder. The mountain was too far away to see what was on top of it, but he could swear that he could see the green of the forests and that the deer were real. He could not keep his eyes open anymore as they filled with tears and bright light. He pulled the green sheathing from his shoulders while the sun went higher. Pulling the clothes from his dark body, baring his chest, thin from the supplements and derivatives of real food grown in the hydroponic light, he was naked and burning delusion setting in the disease almost at its zenith with the morning light the sun rising beyond the mountains he was free and he couldn't think any more about his daughter or wife deep in the catacombs among rows of servers and data banks information processing through the city 10003452 did not enter subhole 4 as predicted he did not pass the recognition scan before the gates closed His number tracked. He was still outside at 110 degrees, heat rising to 111 degrees, 113 degrees. There were no tornadoes predicted till evening, but the heat would go on rising to the average temp of 130 degrees. The rescue teams were put on notice. They suited up into their gear. They saw on the screens a half-naked man leaning against the wall. They could not see the words kill yourself on the rescue station monitors. Had he thought about the little girl growing up, having to face the mountain alone. He cried. He couldn't help it. She would have to understand. He couldn't go back. This is the sickness, the only freedom left. Fighting with the hands of the rescue responders, trying to pull him back in, the logos of Lady Liberty across their chest. Bright sunlight, the mountain, and the little girl. He loved her, but he cried and screamed, I can't go back. I can't go back. Rudolfo Serna has a penchant for 70s horror B-movies, psychedelic doom metal, permaculture, and nature worship. A native of northern New Mexico, he's also a husband and a father, educator and coordinator with the MFA in Creative Writing Program at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. His novel, Snow Over Utopia, was published by Reliquary Press, and he is the digital steward of the Mutant Root Continuum at mutantroot.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or visit us at our webpage, brickmoonfiction.com.